0: This is a Net News Network headline news brought to you by the Behind the Line podcast, bringing you all the crazy, chaotic news from around the United States and the world. Tune in to what you won't hear the MSN talking about. On Monday, the North and South Korea exchanged warning shots off its coast, accusing each other of breaching their maritime borders amid heightened military tension. The South's Joint Chiefs of Staff said it broadcast warnings and fired warning shots to sea off a North Korean merchant vessel that crossed the northern limit line, the de facto sea boundary, around 3.40 a.m. The North's military said it fired 10 rocket artillery rounds after a South Korean Navy ship violated the sea border and fired warning shots on the pretext of tracking down an unidentified ship, according to state media. We ordered initial countermeasures to strongly expel the enemy warship, a spokesperson for the general staff of the North Korean People's Army said, according to the official KCNA news agency. The JCS called the North's move a violation of a 2018 bilateral military pact banning hostile acts in the border areas and urged it to cease consistent provocations and accusations. Since the 1990s, Pyongyang has been disputing the NLL drawn up at the end of the 1950-53 Korean War, claiming it should lie farther to the South. An official at South Korea's military said it had conducted a normal operation regarding the border intrusion and rejects the North's claim over the NLL. The latest exchange of fire came amid simmering tensions with the, North, with the North carrying out weapons tests at an unprecedented pace this year. In recent weeks, North Korea launched short-range ballistic missiles and hundreds of artillery rounds off its east and west coasts on several occasions in protest over the South's military activities. South Korea's troops kicked off their annual Hoguk defense drills last week designed to run until October 28th and boost their own and combined ability with the United States to counter the North's nuclear and missile threats. As part of the program, South Korean naval forces said on Monday that they would stage four day exercises off the west coast bringing together about 20 warships including their Aegis-equipped destroyer and U.S. assets such as Apache attack helicopters and A-10 strike aircraft. Pongyang has angrily reacted to the drills, calling them provocations and threatening countermeasures. Seoul and Washington say their exercises are defensive and aimed at deterring the North. So, in response to this, the U.S. came out yesterday, or I'm sorry, today. The United States will make full use of its military capabilities, including nuclear, conventional and missile defense, to defend its allies, Japan and South Korea. U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman said Tuesday as she warned North Korea against escalating its provocations. Why are we threatening nuclear weapons? Why is that the first thing the U.S. brings up? Sherman said North Korea's repeated firings of ballistic missiles and artillery in recent weeks were provocative military actions. North Korea has described them as practice runs for the use of tactical nuclear weapons. This is deeply irresponsible, dangerous, and destabilizing, Sherman said in talks with Tokyo with South Korean First Vice Foreign Minister Cho hung Dong. The two officials met ahead of three-way meeting with their Japanese counterpart on Wednesday. It will be the second in-person meeting of the three officials since conservative South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol took office in May, signaling an improvement in difficult ties between Japan and South Korea. A year ago, Japanese and South Korean vice ministers declined to participate in a joint news conference after three-way talks in Washington, leaving Sherman to make a solo media appearance sherman and said north korea needs to understand that the u.s commitment to the security of south korea and japan is ironclad and we will use the full range of u.s defense capabilities to defend our allies including nuclear conventional and missile defense capabilities she said cho during his talks with sherman raised concern that a new north korean nuclear weapons policy adopted in september increases the possibility of its arbitrary use of nuclear weapons. This is creating serious tension on the Korean peninsula, peninsula Cho said. Sherman met earlier Tuesday with Japanese vice foreign minister Takio Mori and reaffirmed the further strengthening of the Japan-US alliance and other shared goals including the complete denuclearization of North Korea and their joint response to China's increasingly assertive actions in the region. Japanese defense minister Yasu yes, Hamada recently said, North Korea is believed to have achieved a miniaturization of nuclear warheads while significantly advancing its missile capabilities by diversifying its launch technologies, making interceptions more difficult. Japanese officials have also warned of a possible nuclear test by North Korea in the near future. The Japanese and South Korean officials met together later Tuesday and discussed ways to improve their country's ties, which were badly strained over disagreements stemming from Japanese wartime actions, including abuse of Korean forced laborers and coercing girls and young women to work in brothels for Japanese soldiers. We have all these hot spots ramping up around the world, not to mention all the trouble we're having at home. It's uh, going to be an interesting six months coming up, I think. I hope you're preparing accordingly. Things seem to be heating up in the European front as well. The U.S. has expanded its military presence near the Russian border. This month, the U.S. Army's 101st Airborne Division deployed to Europe for the first time since World War II as part of a major military buildup of NATO's front line along the borders of Ukraine and Russia. NATO members are sending more ships, planes, and troops to NATO's eastern flank from the Baltic Sea in the north to the Black Sea to the south, NATO said in a statement earlier this month. CBS titled its profile... Of the deployment, the US Army's 101st Airborne is practicing for war with Russia just miles from Ukraine's border. Brigadier General John Lubas, noting that nearly 5,000 troops from the 101st Airborne had joined the more than 100,000 soldiers deployed in Europe, told CBS, this is not a training deployment, this is a combat deployment for us. We understand we need to be ready to fight tonight. CBS's Embedded Reporter concluded if the fighting escalates or there's any attack on NATO, they're fully prepared to cross the border into Ukraine. The last time the unit was deployed to Europe was in the storming of D-Day during the Second World War. The 101st hasn't been back to Europe since the end of World War II, Second Lieutenant Patrick Tabor said in a statement. Now we're back aligned underneath the 1st Infantry Division. It's a very unique opportunity. The 101st Airborne is being deployed in Romania as part of the NATO battle group set up in May. At the same time, Russia is running training and simulations for a nuclear war, and the U.S. and NATO are in a deployment that tests deterrence and defense in the Euro-Atlantic area. All ramping up tensions around Ukraine. And what comes next? At the same time, Finland has told NATO that they would allow NATO to place nuclear weapons in their country if their application for NATO is approved. Speaking to a Finnish newspaper, Finland's foreign and defense ministers both gave a commitment to NATO in July that they wouldn't seek restrictions or national reservations if Helsinki's application is accepted. Foreign policy insiders told the news that this means NATO nuclear weapons could transit through or be based on Finnish territory. Additionally, there are no restrictions on establishing NATO bases in the country. The U.S. already has around 100 nuclear weapons in Europe, positioned in Belgium, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, and Turkey, according to the Federation of American Scientists. Britain and France, both NATO members, also maintain their own independent nuclear arsenals. Earlier this month, the Polish government also held discussions with the U.S. government about hosting U.S. nuclear weapons. Polish president claimed there is a potential opportunity for his country to engage in nuclear sharing. According to its website, NATO is a nuclear alliance which allows its nuclear arsenal to preserve peace, prevent coercion, and deter aggression. Is all this talk on both sides right now about nuclear war deterring aggression? Doesn't seem to be working, does it? Sweden has also applied to join NATO. Finland and Sweden's NATO applications have already been approved by the parliaments of 28 of the alliance's 30 member states, with Hungary and Turkey, the only two remaining to vote on the matter. The main stumbling block is Turkey with Ankara saying it will only approve new members if they clamp down on Kurdish separatists, which it regards as terrorists. Poland has stated that while they would like to host U.S. nuclear weapons, he did not want to take ownership of them. This would not be a nuclear weapon under the control of Poland. Participation in nuclear sharing does not imply having your own nuclear weapon, he said. Moving U.S. nuclear weapons into Poland could be a violation of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, the NPT, and the NATO-Russia Founding Act in 1997. After the end of the Cold War, NATO stated it had no plan to deploy nuclear weapons on the territory of new members. Russia has meanwhile violated its own commitments under the act. Putin has warned the West that Russia would respond if NATO began to boost military infrastructure in Sweden and Finland. He told leaders of the collective security treaty organization, which includes Belarus, Armenia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan, that the enlargement of NATO was being used by the United States in an aggressive way to ignite security tensions. Putin said he had no problem with Finland or Sweden, so there was no direct threat from NATO enlargement that included those countries, but the expansion of military infrastructure into this territory would certainly provoke our response, he said. What that response will be, we will see what threats are created for us, Putin said, at the Grand Kremlin Palace. Problems are being created for no reason at all. We shall react accordingly. Obviously, there is nothing you can do about any of this going on. So I don't think you should worry too much about it, but you should definitely know what's going on and be aware of what's unfolding in Europe. And you should prepare accordingly as you see necessary for you and your family. At the very least, all the tension over there could create and has created a lot of shortages and supply disruptions even here in the U.S. So again, prepare accordingly. And here's some good news for workers in New York who were fired for not getting vaccinated. A New York State Supreme Court ordered all New York City employees who were fired for not being vaccinated to be reinstated with back pay. The court found Monday that being vaccinated does not prevent an individual from contracting or transmitting COVID-19. New York City Mayor Eric Adams claimed earlier this year that his administration would not rehire employees who have been fired over their vaccination status. New York City fired roughly 1,700 employees for being unvaccinated earlier this year after the city adopted a vaccine mandate under former Mayor Bill de Blasio. Many of those fired were police officers and firefighters. New York Fire Department Uniformed Firefighters Association President Andrew Ansbro and FDNY Uniformed Fire Officers Association President Lieutenant James McCarthy condemned Adams earlier this year after the mayor allowed an exemption to the vaccine mandate for athletes and performers, even as firefighters were still being fired over their status. The pair called on the city to expand the exception to all New Yorkers. We're here to say that we support the revocation of the vaccine mandate that the mayor announced on Thursday, McCarthy said. We think it should be extended as well. We support the revocation of the mandate for the athletes and performers that work in New York City. We think that the people that work for New York City should also have the mandate relocated for them. If you're going to remove the vaccine mandate for certain people in the city, you need to remove it for everybody in the city, Ansbro said. If you're going to follow the science, science is going to tell you there isn't any danger right now. And putting hundreds of firefighters, police officers, and other emergency workers out of work is not the best interest of the city. It's not safe. I'm sure the city will appeal this decision. Hopefully, it'll make its way to the federal Supreme Court where they can find a similar ruling on the matter, which can then go out to all the states in this country, because unfortunately, so many of these big blue liberal cities fired a lot of good public safety workers, and you're seeing the results of short-staffed police departments and fire departments all across the country. And here's a little story from New York that goes along with the failing criminal justice system I've been talking about over the last several weeks also goes along with the shortage of police that also New York City is experiencing. New York City Mayor Eric Adams downplayed the city's latest subway attack, arguing that most New Yorkers use the system without issue. We're going to deal with the crimes that take place, and we're going to continue to work on those six felony crimes a day that we're witnessing, said Wednesday. He said Wednesday, the New York Post reported. Six, only six felony crimes in the subway system a day, huh? That's really hard to believe. But I know that 3.5 million people use our system every day without any encounters. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you just from my experience with the light rail system in Seattle that there are lots of incidents that occur every day. So I know the problem in New York is much worse. And there are many incidences that people just don't report because they know nothing's going to be done. Because they know there's no cops to come take care of it. And even if they did show up, there will be no consequences for the person who did Whatever they did. In this incident, a good Samaritan was stabbed on the number 6 train just ahead of 6 a.m. Wednesday at the Brooklyn Bridge City Hall. The 31-year-old man was trying to break up a fight between two women when one of the women repeatedly stabbed him in the neck, shoulder, and arm, the New York Post reported. Adam said later that day he would contact the victim, describing him as an innocent person who was, from my understanding, trying to stop the dispute. Since 2020, there have been 21 killings in the subway system. The figure is more than the 20 murders recorded between 2008 and 2019 combined, according to the data. The data that the Democrats love so much. That's 21 killings in two years, compared to 20 in 11 years prior to 2020. Anybody see a problem here? This is just the subway system. The mayor laid blame for the perception of fear among New Yorkers on the media last week during an interview. Arguing the media highlights reports of attacks on the front pages of your paper every day. Well, bro, it's not a perception, it's a fact, because I just laid out the numbers, and I know the mayor has those numbers too, but you know what? When you fire a bunch of cops, and you don't have enough cops to put any in the subway system, then this is what you get. When you continually let criminals back out on the street without any consequences or jail time, then this is what you get. These are democratic policies in action. Well, I'm sure you've heard California Governor Gavin Newsom rail about cow farts and how they are polluting the planet and how cattle farms need to be reduced to reduce the carbon footprint. Now a CNN climate piece is arguing that pets and their meat-heavy diet are major contributors to climate change. Peace piece offered ways that owners can reduce their beloved animal's carbon paw print. It suggested pet owners reassess their pet's diet, offering lab-grown meat and insect-based pet foods as a potential option for them. The article also recommended making sure that pet products such as leashes, bags, toys, and bowls are recyclable, and also advised that potential pet owners Maybe adopt smaller breeds to minimize climate impact. The piece opened with the statement, our four-legged friends don't drive gas-guzzling SUVs or use energy-sucking appliances, but that doesn't mean they don't have a climate impact. In fact, researchers have shown that pets play a significant role in the climate crisis. Are you kidding me, dude? I mean, come on. Are you people going to Are you people that are on board with this? Are you really going to go along with this one? Are you not seeing the stupidity yet? CNN pointed to the products we buy for them that contribute to the climate crisis, specifically their food. The article stated their meat-heavy diet is the biggest contributor to their carbon paw prints, which requires an abundance of energy, land, and water to produce. And the production of pet food emits huge amounts of planet-warming gases. Okay, so those pet food factories are really polluting up the the planet now. Citing a 2017 study, the outlet noted feeding dogs and cats creates the equivalent of around 64 million tons of carbon dioxide in the U.S. each year. That's roughly the same impact as 13.6 million cars on the road. It added that our furry friends formed a separate country. It would rank fifth in global meat consumption behind China, the U.S., Brazil, and Russia, according to the UCLA professor and author of the study, Gregory Oaken. They are animals. What do animals in the wild eat? Are they vegetarians? No. They are carnivores. They have to eat meat. I'm sort of at a loss to this idiotic stupidity that keeps coming out about this climate stuff and eating meat. Though bidding farewell to your best friends is not the answer, CNN said, owners just need to minimize their pets' environmental impact. One recommendation was to alter pets' diets. The piece described some new food developments on the market that are worth looking into, especially for dogs, including lab-grown meat. Lab-grown. When in past history have we decided that anything created in a lab was more healthy than the natural alternatives? Never. Eventually down the road it's going to come out, these lab-grown products cause cancer or have some nasty chemicals in them that cause other problems and it this is the way it always turns out processed foods lab grown created products there's always some sort of nasty side effect when it comes to a choice between eating something created in a lab or eating natural foods that means plant or animal the choice is obvious you eat natural in addition to that there are insect-based pet foods which are nutritionally complete and are starting to come onto the market around the world well i'm not eating bugs and i'm sure not going to feed bugs to my dogs either lastly the article recommended potential owners to adopt smaller pets for a smaller carbon footprint the general rule is that larger pets will have a larger climate impact than smaller ones primarily because they need more food so you might consider smaller breeds or species if you're aiming to minimize your impact on the planet i feel sorry for people that read these articles and take them seriously you must live in some kind of state of panic all the time like the the sky is going to fall on your house at any moment you are going to be sucked off the planet when the atmosphere disappears how do you take science seriously when stuff like this is being given to us i don't know well these uh alternate food items are not just for your pets. They're also for you. I've reported on the lab-grown meat that is widely going to be sold by a major European meat distributor to fancy restaurants and high-end grocery stores. Well now, the Daily Mail is reporting that Aldi, a European grocery uh, supermarket, is considering stocking edible bugs and providing recipe kits for parents to prepare worms and crickets for their hungry children. Potential products in the range include sustainable cricket burgers as well as nuggets and mints. Yeah, just when you thought this couldn't get any more dystopian, the supermarket is involved with a TV game show in which insect farmers will pinch The bugs as pitch the bugs as the next big thing for Aldi, according to the report. One of the contestants, Aaron Thomas, commented We're on a mission to change perceptions of insects as food. They're one of the most sustainable protein sources in the world. Thomas further claims that crickets contain more protein than beef, adding We want to take bug consumption mainstream. If we're able to get in front of Aldi's audience, that would be an amazing opportunity. The move is the latest in a growing trend of pushing bug-eating on the masses as a way of saving the planet. Recently, Canadian company the Aspire Food Group pledged to produce 9,000 tons of insects per year for human and pet consumption after completing construction of the world's biggest cricket food processing center. In addition to crickets, worms and maggots are also big in Europe. How about a weed-side salad, and why not wash down your worm food with a tall, refreshing glass of sewage? In 2020, the World Economic Forum published two articles on its website which explored how people could be conditioned to get used to the idea of eating weeds, bugs, and drinking sewage water in order to reduce CO2 emissions. Yeah, speaking of that, like I've already seen articles from some of the big cities in the U.S. where they actually do reuse sewage water, filter it, put it back into the drinking water system. And, you know, the article basically said uh, if the water smells or whatever, get over it, uh, that it's clean and you can drink it and that you just need to get used to it. This is modern society. where drinking poop water and eating bugs. This is the modern world. Sounds so very modern. Oh yeah, we might not have power or heat either, but you know, modern conveniences. A separate article published on the WEF website outlined how people can be conditioned to enjoy consuming food which on the surface looks or sounds disgusting. The Great Reset is about enacting a drastic reduction in living standards for the plebs, which will force them to put bugs, weeds, and sewage on the menu, while the Davos elites continue to feast on the finest cuisine in their ivory towers. I don't know about you, but I'm not eating bugs. And personally, I think you're an idiot if you believe this garbage and go along with this. It's absolute insanity. And here's one question that goes unanswered about this bugs versus meat. How many bugs would you have to eat to feel full compared to one piece of meat? And think about how many bugs they would have to raise in order to provide enough to people to feel full. You can't tell me that a bug factory isn't going to have a carbon footprint as well. This just is not an option. I'm sorry. It's not. A nationwide shortage of amoxicillin is expected to hit local pharmacies. Amoxicillin, a commonly used drug for treating bacterial infection, is in short supply. Three of the top four makers of the antibiotics reported having supply constraints in the U.S., The liquid form of the drug is taking the biggest hit. It's coming. It is something that's going to happen, said Logan Whitfield, infectious disease pharmacist at a Marshfield Clinic pharmacy. Drug manufacturers have not reported exactly what is causing the shortage other than it's due to supply constraints. Regardless of why, it means there may not be enough to go around to everyone who needs it, especially children, manufacturers say the liquid form is the most scarce i think what a lot of people are concerned about is their kids right we use amoxicillin for our kiddos a lot they're getting sick a lot especially with things like ear infections throat infections maybe even some pneumonia said whitfield just one more shortage you can chalk up to the Biden administration you're not really hearing about amoxicillin is widely used for children when they're sick This is a problem, like so many other problems we have right now. And here's some news you might not find too surprising. For over two years now, the U.S. government has purchased all the COVID vaccines administered in the country in what has become the largest public vaccination campaign in American history. Those purchases have included more than 500 million doses from Pfizer. The first 100 million cost around $20 a dose thanks to an earlier agreement in which the U.S. government invested $1.95 billion in vaccine production. The remaining doses were bought for around $30 each. That's right, the government funded the vaccine production. They paid Pfizer and Moderna, I assume. And then, after they paid for the production of it, they turned around and bought the vaccines back from the company they paid to make them. Hmm. But once the U.S. government supplies run out, likely in the first quarter of 2023, and COVID vaccines and therapeutics are moved onto commercial health platforms, Pfizer is able to hike up the price of its shots. The company announced on October 20th it intends to sell the COVID vaccine marketed under the brand name. Cormonati okay, $410 to $130 per dose. This is about four times the current selling price and 100 times the estimated cost of manufacturing the vaccine. Okay. It costs an estimated 1.18 billion or 1.1 billion to produce a vial of vaccine. I'm sorry, it costs an estimated dollar eighteen to produce a vaccine one dollar and eighteen cents to make the vaccine, which the government already paid for the production of the vaccines, and they're going to sell those vaccines for over $100. That's a hundred dollars that's uh that's a good uh, business model right there if you own a business, isn't it? You're really ripping people off. Why are these pharmaceutical companies allowed to jack up the prices like this on medications? Why does the government allow it? Why are taxpayers funding the creation of these pharmaceuticals and then having to pay outrageous prices for them to buy them from the companies that we already paid to make them? Pfizer has not challenged the estimate, which would imply that the 2023 price represents a 10,000% markup over the marketing cost, but the company did provide an explanation for the price hike. There are key differences between an emergency and traditional model that increase the cost of making and distributing the COVID-19 vaccine, Pfizer told Quartz via email. These costs, the company says, include distributing through multiple channels and payers instead of one, as well as producing the doses in single vials which can be up to three times more expensive and run into the higher transportation costs. Pfizer also says it is the company's expectation that most privately insured patients will continue not to face out-of-pocket costs for the vaccine and that it will provide financial assistance to uninsured patients so they can continue to receive the vaccine for free. Oh, I see. So, hey, your insurance is going to pay for it. Don't worry about it. You're not going to pay out of cost. But... This causes insurance prices and premiums to go up. So in essence, yes, you are paying for it. Because if the insurance company has to pay more for something that everybody's getting, then guess what? They're going to raise your rates or the rates that your employer pays for you to have insurance. All for a vaccine that does virtually nothing. This is the biggest scam in history, and it just keeps getting bigger, doesn't it? Also, not surprisingly, the COVID-19 pandemic caused historic learning setbacks for America's children. All these big blue cities that sent your kids home for remote learning for a year, or in some cases, two years, where there was little or no oversight... Some of these kids didn't even have internet, don't have computers, don't have reliable internet. Did anybody do anything about the internet situation during all this? Nope. Not in my state. Not in Washington they didn't. These setbacks erased decades of academic progress and widened racial disparities according to results of a national test that provide the sharpest look at the scale of the crisis. According to the Across the country, math scores saw their largest decreases ever. Reading scores dropped to 1992 levels. Nearly four in eight 10th graders failed to grasp basic math concepts. Not a single state saw a notable improvement in their average test scores, with some simply treading water at best. Those are the findings from the National Assessment of Educational Progress, known as the Nation's Report Card, which tested hundreds of thousands of 4th and 8th graders across the country this year. It was the first time the test had been given since 2019 and it's seen the first nationally representative study for the pandemic's impact on learning. It's a serious wake-up call for all of us, Peggy Carr, Commissioner of the National Center for Educational Statistics, a branch of the Education Department, said in an interview, In NAEP, when we experience a one- or two-point decline, we're talking about it as a significant impact on a student's achievement. In math we experienced an eight-point decline historic for this assessment. Researchers usually think of a 10-point gain or drop as equivalent to roughly a year of learning. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona said it's a sign that schools need to redouble their efforts using billions of dollars that Congress gave schools to help students recover. This is not a problem you are going to buy your way out of. This isn't something money can fix. It's just time lost. Let's be clear, these are Democrat policies. You didn't see Republicans in large enforcing these stupid ridiculous COVID rules. It was Democrats. This was their big idea to send kids home to not have public school. Article goes on to say, confirming what many feared, racial inequities appear to have widened. In fourth grade, black and Hispanic students saw bigger decreases than white students, widening gaps that have persisted for decades. These are the people that Democrats claim to care the most about, but they don't. You see it across the board with all their policies that are hurting low-income and people of color all their policies all the policies when it comes to crime when it comes to climate change when it comes to electric vehicles and all this other crap they want to force on us it is hurting the low income and people of color that they claim to care about so much it is hurting them the worst it is hitting them The hardest. And now you've got these kids who are way behind and probably won't ever get caught up. You've got this whole generation of kids now, when they become adults, that aren't going to be able to get good jobs, that may not be able to get into colleges, even though colleges are lowering their standards and not looking at SAT tests anymore. and All these things they're trying to do to let these kids slide... That's not going to work in the real world. It's not going to work when they're up against kids from other countries or kids who were homeschooled or went to private schools where these things didn't happen. All Democrats like to do is talk about this stuff and talk about how they're going to do something about it, but they don't ever do anything about it. Look, they've been complaining about these issues for years and years and years, and there have been plenty of times... Over the years, on the federal level, where Democrats have been in control and have done nothing about these things, there are plenty of Democrat-controlled states who complain about these things but have never done anything substantial or solid, and yet they continue to squawk and complain about it, especially during election cycles. Article goes on to say the results make clear that schools must address the long standing and systematic shortcomings of our education system, said Alberto Carvalho, superintendent of Los Angeles schools and member of the National Assessment Governing Board, which sets the policies for the test. Yes, systematic shortcomings. Yes, do something. Quit talking about it. They've got all these boards and bureaucracies and oversight committees and all these politicians and people looking over this stuff talking about it talk 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 enough talk do something about it do something quit talking about it and well here's some interesting news the speed record for data transmission using a single light source and optical chip has been shattered once again Engineers have transmitted data at a blistering rate of one point eight four petabits per second. That's almost twice the global internet traffic per second. That's pretty incredible. It's hard to j- hard to overstate just how fast one point eight four petabits really is. Your home internet is probably getting a few hundred megabits per second. Or if you're real lucky, you might be on a 1 gigabyte or even a 10 gigabyte connection. Or you might have basically dial-up speed through CenturyLink like I do. But a 1 petabit is a million gigabits. It's more than 20 times faster than ESNet-6, the upcoming upgrade to the scientific network used by the likes of NASA. Even more impressive is the fact that this new speed record was set using a single light source and a single optical chip. An infrared laser is beamed into a chip called a frequency comb that splits the light into hundreds of different frequencies or colors. Data can then be encoded into the light by modulating the amplitude, phase, and polarization of each of those frequencies before recombining them into one beam and transmitting it through an optical fiber. Well, it's way over my head, but it uh, sounds pretty incredible that... All the information of the internet globally can be sent per second. Amazing. I wish uh, they could do something about my internet speed at home. Egypt has announced it will develop a new currency indicator partly to wean people off the idea that the Egyptian pound should be pegged to the U.S. dollar, the new central bank governor said on Sunday. Hassan Abdallah, appointed in August, told an economic conference that the central bank was also working to introduce currency hedging and had already finished futures contracts as it revamps its currency trading system. The indicator would be based on a basket of several currencies and possibly gold, he said. It's for the sake of the idea of pegging, and I'm not talking about the price, I'm speaking about the idea, he said. America is not my major trading partner. I don't know why people are always fixated on the dollar. Part of our success will be changing the culture and idea that we are pegged. We want to be seen against every currency. The Egyptian pound has been virtually fixed at about 15.70 pounds against the dollar for 18 months before the Ukraine crisis triggered a flight of billions of dollars out of Egyptian treasuries in a matter of weeks, prompting the central bank to devalue the currency in March and let it gradually weaken since then. Egypt, since March, has been negotiating a financial support package with the International Monetary Fund, which has long urged it to adopt a more flexible exchange rate. The Egyptian pound had strengthened against the euro, the British pound, and the Turkish lira since the Ukrainian crisis, but people don't see all that, Abdallah told the conference. Despite the currency revamp, Abdallah said the central bank's primary mission would be to get inflation now running at 14% under control many of these countries are going to move away from the dollar and it's going to spell trouble for the dollar down the road a philadelphia sheriff's deputy named samir ahmad has been arrested for illegally selling guns on the street according to court documents two of those guns were used in the deadly Roxborough high school shooting on september 27th where a 14 year old was killed and four teens were injured ahmad is in federal custody this is a story out of CBS, locally in Philadelphia, where they've reached out to the Sheriff Department for comment have not received one. No other stories about this that I could find, or why he was initially arrested, I guess maybe for the gun selling. Not sure why he'd already be in federal custody, though. It appears Ahmad has been with the police department since 2016 or 17. Interesting. And in a story out today, economists are claiming the U.S. economy grew at a 2.6% annual rate from July through September, snapping two straight quarters of contraction and overcoming high inflation and interest rates just as voting begins in midterm elections in which the economy's health has emerged as a paramount issue. Thursday's better-than-expected estimate from the Commerce Department showed that the nation's gross domestic product, the broadest gauge of economic output, grew in the third quarter after having shrunk in the first half of 2022. Uh, But that doesn't matter because they changed their definition of a recession, right? It's not two quarters of GDP reduction anymore, so why does this even matter? Stronger exports and consumer spending backed by a healthy job market help restore growth to the world's biggest economy at a time when worries about a possible recession, possible, are rising. Consumer spending, which accounts for about 70% of U.S. economic activity, expanded at a 1.4% annual pace in July through September, down from a 2% rate from April through June. Last quarter's growth got a major boost from exports, which shot up at an annual pace of 14.4%. Government spending also helped. It rose at a 2.4% annual annual pace, the first such increase since early last year, with sharply higher defense spending leading the way. Housing investment, though, plunged at a 26% annual pace, Hammered by surging mortgage rates as the Federal Reserve aggressively raises borrowing costs to combat chronic inflation, it was the sixth straight quarterly drop in residential investment. Mortgage rates are up over 7% for the first time in decades. Economists noted that the third quarter gain in GDP can be traced entirely to the surge in exports, which added 2.7% points to the economy's expansion. Export growth will be difficult to sustain as the global economy weakens and a strong U.S. dollar makes American products pricier in foreign markets. Exports don't help us with inflation at home. Exports, government spending, that's Biden sending all our gas and oil to foreign countries This is a joke. This, I mean, it's not a joke. This is what they're saying, but it is a joke. And it's just before the election, and I guarantee you this is going to be all over the news for the next two weeks, three weeks, talking about how we've snapped this problem with our GDP, and Biden's got us back on track, and you're going to hear all this garbage because this is how they get votes. If you've paid your bills lately or gone to the grocery store lately, you know as well as I do, put gas in your car lately, that this is all garbage. Thank you for listening to Net News Network Headline News, brought to you by the Behind the Line podcast. For more, you can listen to us at the Behind the Line podcast .com or right here on NetNews Network. We can also be found on Facebook, YouTube, Truth Social, Parlor, Gab, Twitter, Telegram, Reddit, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM and anywhere else your favorite podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe and share.